0: Welcome to the Heart Zone, a podcast ministry of Currensville Christian Church, featuring the teaching ministry of George Cannon. For more information about Currensville Christian Church, visit us on the web at www.currensvillechristian.org. And now, for a message from the Heart Zone, here's George. Okay guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Fifth chapter of Romans. We're continuing right along in our study and uh, this is... Well... I finalized this message on Friday and from that point on... I was actually looking forward to sharing it with you. you know, do you, you ever get some kind of news that you just can't wait to tell somebody about it? Okay. And this passage is one of those passages because I, I, I've mentioned it to you before over the last several weeks, we really do operate with some wrong thinking some messed up thinking when we think about how God sees us, when we think about how God views us as his children. Because we can't separate ourselves from the stuff we do wrong. I mean, we're constantly being reminded of the stuff we do wrong, okay? And and part of that is just... The, where we live. What do you mean where we live? You you have an enemy that's real and he's known as the accuser of the brethren. So guess what he's going to do? He's going to spend all his time what? Accusing you. Of not doing good things. He's going to accuse you of your sins, right? Oh, can't believe you did that. How can you be here this morning? Don't count on God. Why would he help you? I mean, it just goes on and on. That That's just some examples, but he's really specific when he talks to you because he knows, he knows your stuff. Nobody else does, but the spirit world knows. And so when you look at what we're going through, our our overall lesson is understanding your faith. So we're trying to understand what is the basis of Christianity because there's so much confusion out there. So many people saying crazy stuff on, on the internet and on TV and, and, and you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. Well, so Paul in this letter is, is really outlining everything that we believe. And one of the things that he's trying to get you to understand is that the just shall live by faith. The just, that is believers, will live by faith—faith faith in what Jesus did for them. And what that means for you and I is, is that you and I are accepted. And we've already looked as we've been going through half of chapter three into chapter four and now into chapter five. It's not about you. Your standing, your acceptance with God isn't about you. Grasp it. It's not about whether or not you're doing the right thing. You can't rest in that. It's not about your religious activities. It's not even about whether or not you're keeping God's law. That has nothing to do with any of that. What is it about? It's about Jesus and what he did for us. And then we receive the benefits of that. And so today he's going to take it one step further. Because we can understand acceptance. But we still think like human beings. Like okay well he accepts me. But it's still not right between us. He has to accept me. I'm still not okay with, we're, we're still not okay, he's still holding it against me. We, we think that way. Why? Because the reality is, is we're in perpetual defeat. We live in perpetual defeat. It's a continual defeat on our part. Why? Okay, I'll give you two thoughts here. First of all, spiritual defeat is the natural outflow of our wrong thinking. It's a natural outflow. If you believe that you, you have something to do with whether or not God accepts you, you're always going to be defeated. You're always going to see yourself as less than. You're always going to see yourself as the rejected one. Because all you can see when you think about your relationship with God is this thing you did wrong whenever it was. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was 20 years ago. But all you see is the shame and the guilt. And you think God sees you the same way. And so you're in this state of spiritual defeat. And it's a natural outflow of our wrong thinking. Here's the second thing I want you to see. We cannot remove ourselves from believing that, our, that acceptance is based on us. We can't remove ourselves. You know, I've, I've been, for the last five weeks now, reiterating to you, week after week, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about who? Jesus, right? But even though I'm reiterating that to you, and you can even quote it back to me and you can say, Yes, I believe that, George. But do we really? Wait till tomorrow. What do you mean, wait till tomorrow? Are you jinxing me, George? No, just wait till tomorrow. You get in the car, you headed to work, the engine won't start. First thing out of your mouth, what did I do, God? Why is this happening to me? Oh, I know. I I know. know, And we, we, we immediately go there with our wrong thinking. That somehow, that the problems we face is because we did wrong. Sometimes it is. A lot of times it isn't. A lot of times it's just Life. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's just life. You're the one who bought a Ford or you're the one who bought a GM, right? Or whatever brand you buy and it breaks down. But immediately in our wrong thinking we go and it's say it's about me, it's about me, it's about me and I'm I'm facing punishment here, I'm facing punishment. Well maybe, but a lot of times it isn't. And so we just live in this perpetual state of defeat. So that's why Paul, when we get to verses 6 through 11, is going to take it one step further. He's going to help you to understand that you are accepted, but he's also going to help you to understand that the relationship that you now have with God through Jesus doesn't just bring acceptance, it brings about reconciliation. It brings about making right the wrong that existed between the two of you. So now you're not just accepted, or as the Bible would say justified, you are now reconciled. Everything is okay between the two of you. And again, it's not because of you. It's because of love. So I want you to notice with me. I want you to notice and really think about what Paul is saying here. Okay? Here's what he writes, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time... Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a religious man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to look at this passage. We're going to bring out six things that are going to express his sacrifice of love for us. And with that, I want us to try. And that's all we can do is try because there's no way to eliminate it completely because even I still wrestle with it, I want us to try to grasp his acceptance of you, period, not because of you, but because of Jesus, but also recognize that with that acceptance, everything's okay, you're reconciled to him. Everything has been made right. And hopefully that'll set you free. So here's what he says. First thing I want you to see about his sacrifice of love. He says this in verse 6. Look at what he says. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for us. What's he saying here? He's basically saying while we were powerless to do anything, Jesus died for us. So he's talking about you before the moment you came to him in faith. So he's talking about you before the moment that you followed him. You made that decision to follow him and you were saved. He's talking about in that moment, you were powerless to do anything. There was nothing that you and I could do to, quote, make the relationship with God right again. You were ex- there was no, no amount of good deeds was going to handle it. Did you understand what I'm saying? The debt was too great that we owed already. So we were, there's nothing we could do about that. So here we are, we're in this state of not being able to do anything, of being right with God, facing hell. And here comes Jesus. And at the right time in human history, He died for us. He died for us. You couldn't do anything about it. he did it. Now, okay, now stop for a moment. Think about that. Some of you are like, yeah, I believe that, George. That's what I believe. I acknowledge that, that it's by faith. It's not by my actions. I couldn't do anything. Jesus did it all for me. Yes. Okay, great. We all believe that. We believe what we have there. While we we're powerless, Jesus did it. So let me ask a question. If, in order for you to be saved, you couldn't do anything, he had to do it for you. Why do you think? Why do you operate? Why are you so dominated by the thinking that says that that very relationship with God is contingent on how you live your life right now? Did you understand what I'm saying? On whether or not you're perfect enough. And by the way, have we not realized we're not perfect? Period. It's because of his love. So while we were powerless to do anything, Jesus died for us. Here's what he says in verse 7. And and just to help you to understand the kind of love, why would he do that? It's because he loved you. What kind of love are we talking about here? Look at verse 7. Here's what he says in verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. So on a human level, maybe for a righteous man somebody would give their life for somebody else. Or even a good man, I mean, but we wouldn't do that for a bad guy, would we? Would you give your life for a scoundrel? What's his point here? Here's the point. He's he's wanting you to see that his sacrifice goes beyond any human expression of love. What he did was beyond anything any human being would do for anyone. Jesus did it for you, who in a few moments he's going to describe us as enemies. By the way, would you die for your enemy? Jesus did. It has nothing to do with you. Did you understand? Quit living in defeat. Quit living so defeated and so in, I mean, basically you are not worth anything because you just think that, oh, I'm just kind of here and hope that God will accept me. Man, your thinking is wrong. Completely wrong. Here's what he says in verse 8. This is about God's love here. So it's it's beyond human expression. But look at verse 8. Here's what he says about that same love. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, by the way, he didn't go to the cross and die for you because you were perfect. He didn't go to the cross and die for you because he looked at all of your life and said, oh, wow, he's he's going to be okay. Look at all the good things he does. That's not why he died for you. While you were still a sinner, while you were engaged in the thing that you know is wrong, the thing that haunts you right now with guilt and shame, he died for you. That's love. So here, here's the point I want you to see: that God's love revealed, revealed in Jesus Christ, is exposed while we were still sinners. He showed His love. So let me ask you a question: that love that He showed by die, by sending His Son, His Son dying, so that we can have forgiveness, have eternal life, so that we would be saved, so we can enter into a relationship with Him, so that we would be accepted. That love is the love that is dominating his thinking towards you. So why in the world do we think that the moment we mess up again, that he's changed towards us? If he was thinking that way before you got saved, why do we think that he changed the way of his thinking? Do you see how messed up that is? But so many of us are living messed up like that. So many of us have a wrong view of God. A wrong view of his love. He died for you. He died for you while we were still sinners. This this is the reality. This is the thing that's going on. So then what's what's the result of that? Look with me at verse 9. So here's what he says. So here's what... Happens because we are accepted. Here it is, verse 9. Much more, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What's wrath, George? Well, wrath here is the expression of his judgment. It really is the expression of his final judgment. God pours out his wrath. Now it's not, it's not a human wrath, you know, like I lose it because of somebody and they face my wrath. It's more of a judicial wrath. He's already expressed in the first three chapters that all humanity is going to hell because of their rejection of him. And so a sentence is passed. And so they execute, he's going to execute wrath on the world for its rejection of him. Just like the state, when it executes somebody in a death chamber, executes the judicial wrath of the state. This is the kind of wrath, we're talking about a judicial wrath. Now, what saves me from that? Salvation. His work, his death for us. In fact, here's the point. Because we are accepted, we've been saved from God's coming wrath. So let me give you an illustration, okay? I'll use me. So as a boy, I grew up, I'm, a, I'm an army brat. What that means is, as my dad was in the military, all of my formative years were as the child of a soldier, meaning I lived on bases or outside of bases. I carried an ID card. I mean, I could get on the base or whatever and so forth. And so I, I lived in that kind of home, and uh, my dad was a disciplinarian. And, but yet, even with that, the, my dad was an NCO. He was a drill sergeant at one time, and, uh, and he, he kept a tight rein on things at home, okay? Now, even when there's a tight rein, does that mean George led a perfect life at home? No, I'm not going to deceive you. George messed up. George George would disappoint his parents. George was a normal kid. Trying to get away with normal kid stuff. Thinking I can get away with it, but then getting caught by my parents and living in perpetual groundedness for six months at a time. Or losing a car privilege. Or having to, this was a good one, Dust the collards. What dust? What are you talking about? Well, in the South, we grow collard greens. My dad loved collard greens. He's from North Carolina. And so he would send me out in a hot July day of South, in the South Carolina heat to dust them with seven to keep the bugs off of them, keep them from... It was, It was not the thing. I don't like gardening to this day, okay? But here's the thing. As much as George Cannon screwed up, And as much as I faced the judgment and punishment of my dad. It didn't remove me from being a canon. And he never said get out. Quit being in my family. Was he disappointed? Yeah. Did I face punishment? Yeah. Yeah. But I now didn't cease being a part of the family. See, this is the thing. You, when you do wrong, does God punish you? Yes. But you're not facing the coming wrath. You've been saved from that. His discipline of you is like a heavenly father disciplining you because he doesn't want you to keep doing the dumb, stupid things you do that I do. But at no point does he not accept us. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we've been accepted, we've been saved from the coming wrath. That's the awesome thing, isn't it? But why do we live there? Why do we live in fear? Because we don't understand his heart. We don't understand his heart. Here's the other thing I want you to see here. Look with me at verse 10. He's going to bring in this whole issue of reconciliation. Look at me now, verse 10. Here's what he says, verse 10. For if, we, for if we, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So here it is. If sinners were reconciled, believers will experience the fullness of salvation. So here's the point he's making. So here you are, before you knew Jesus, doing your own thing, rebelling against him, and he initiates the process of making things right between you and God through the death of his son. Now if he's doing that while you are rejecting him, Paul is saying, "How much more will you experience the fullness of salvation now that your child, even if you mess up, even if you do wrong, and we do because we're what? Sinners. We would say, George, I, I don't do wrong. Yeah, give me a break. Do you realize sin has so permeated our lives? We sin without even knowing that we sin. We sin ignorantly. How do you know that? Well, because the sacrifices in the Old Testament were not for intentional sins. They were for the sins of what? Ignorance. Did you understand? So here's God who if he reconciled, made things right with you through Jesus before you got saved, now that you're saved, how much more will that love be expressed to you? But here's how we operate. Oh, I know I'm not doing right, God, and you don't see me the right way anymore. And and you won't go talk to him. You won't even seek forgiveness. It's not forgiveness to keep you from hell. It's forgiveness to make the relationship right because you've got this weird thinking going on now that I've really messed up. I've really provoked him and reached the line. Which, by the way, reaching the line in the New Testament is going home to be with him. You're still breathing. You haven't reached the line. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're still breathing... There is still the relationship. So, But what has to happen? You have to quit focusing on you and put your focus on God because he reconciled. He made things right with you. He loves you. It's not about you. So what does that do? Brings me to the sixth point here. Verse 11, he talks about rejoicing. What does he say here? Verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we are now, we have now received the reconciliation. What's he saying here? That realization of acceptance and and reconciliation is our source of joy. You want to know where your joy is? Should be. is that in spite of me, he still accepts me. In spite of me, everything's okay between us. He's still my father. He still loves me. He still cares for me. Is he disappointed? Yes, but what do you do? First John 1 John nine. if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just one prayer away. One prayer away. Why? And he's waiting for you to come. He's like, isn't this interesting? Jesus gives the illustration of the, the second-born son who wants his inheritance now, and he goes off and throws his wild oats and ends up slopping pigs and he said why am I here I could be a servant in my father's household runs back there's daddy sitting on the porch and he sees the son coming up and he runs out to meet him he runs to meet him with his arms open while the boy saying he's well forgive me father I've said no, what dad just envelops him in his arms and says hey we're having a party my son is back that is God Towards us. Why are you defeated? Did you hear me? Why are you defeated? It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to live there. He loves you before you even thought about him. He died for you while you were doing your own thing. And then you came to him and you realized, I need you, Jesus, and you gave your life to him. And that love still continued on. That acceptance still continues on, because here's the thing. It's not like he all of a sudden thought when he got, you got saved that, okay, here's, I've wiped it clean. they should be perfect from here on out, and then you go do something wrong, and God's like, "Whoa, I didn't expect that." Really? He knows us too well. And when he forgave you, he forgave you for the ones in the past, the present, and the future. He's not surprised by our failures. He's the one who upholds us in the midst of the failures. Isn't that awesome? That, my friends, is the love of God. God. So let me just close with the question. Why are you still defeated? Let me pray for you.